Thank you once again, team, for doing that and being an example to us. And it could be that the Lord has used the testimonies that have been given to create a desire in your heart to step outside the comfort zone. If you want more information, and there are tons of incredible, awesome stories, they'll be around. Just look for the ones with the uh, orange shirts, and they'll be able to give you the details on that. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 18, which will be our focal point. I'll begin to read in verse number 16. The Bible says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Imagine how it must have been if you were those Roman soldiers. You come in, you've been summoned by King Herod. You have made your living for years. You've fought robbers. You have arrested and you have executed murderers. You were the enforcers of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But yet as you as the centurion, the commander, you've been summoned before the king, Herod who has a mega case of insecurity to the point that he killed multiple members of his own family. And he gives you the order, take your men and go to Bethlehem and find all of the male children two years old and younger and take their lives. Now sometime in church we can get the wrong picture about the Romans. They were not all savages. They were not all murderers. They were actually the first republic from what we've had in this world. They had principles of Roman justice. In fact, to the point that the Apostle Paul, according to Roman law, could not be crucified because he was a Roman citizen. In a world of barbarism, unbridled murder and pogroms and massacres, the Romans were the ones who said that if you join with us, we have a rule of law. And you as the Roman leader would have humbly appealed before Herod and said, Sir, these children are not threats. Bethlehem is not a threat to your kingdom, sir. Would there be some way? What what is the order? Am I hearing you correctly, your majesty, that you want me to take my men on our horses with our weapons and take the lives of children? Sir, according to my code and my oath of honor as a Roman soldier, I cannot carry out that act. In fact, the Romans were known around the world the movies show differently, for being very merciful to those who would align with them. Judea was aligned with Rome. It wasn't a threat. We don't know if it happened this way, but Herod was known to do such things. You as the centurion, to say, if you refuse to carry out this order, I will send back orders to Caesar himself that says you are an enemy of the empire. You will be stripped and you will be scourged to death in the old Roman fashion. It's either you carry out the order or you die. You choose. And every single Roman soldier did what people have done through the centuries. They compromised in order to carry out that animalistic desire of survival. The Bible records all of the children were put to death unjustly and cruelly in the dead of night, probably, 
The ESV study Bible said that there were probably somewhere between 10 and 30 young boys of that age. But unfortunately, things like this are nothing new. We can look in the Bible from the beginning and, and we can recall in the book of Genesis, Pharaoh's attempt to murder all of the young boys that were born to the Hebrew nation. But it says the midwives, help me church, they feared whom? They feared God. And they hid. And they would not do it. And Moses survived. We know that when the Israelites came into Canaan, modern day Palestine in the Middle East, much of that area, they came face to face with a pagan system of worship. Molech and Baal. And the Phoenician desires to sacrifice their own children to pagan and false gods. Sometimes people from the 21st century can read what God said to do to those cultures, which is take them down. All of them. And they can say, that seems so barbaric. But if we could get in a time machine and go back, and what they would do, at least according to what the historians tell us, is they would heat up the idols of Molech. It would have outstretched arms to the point that it would be red hot. They would take the children and they would throw them into the fires, hoping that the gods would bless their crops and change the cycles of drought and give them more money. It was a cruel, cruel time. Then we can look back in history as well and look at Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan who killed over 40 million people in his lifetime. Some historians even tell us that those vast Russian forests today, it seems like there's endless lumber or once populated areas. Historians tell us that when Genghis Khan and his troops went into areas, they took no prisoners. There are areas of land as far as the eye can see, to where all of the people were murdered. In fact, some historians have even said that Genghis Khan was the greenest mass murderer in history because of the reduced human population to a reforestation took over vast tracts of land. Then his heir, Tamerlane, when they laid siege to Delhi, India, this may be shocking for some of you, but it's true, over 70,000 to 90,000 human skulls, most of those women and children, they made into a pyramid outside the gates of Delhi as a form of psychological warfare. Then we look further on in history in the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire that reigned for probably around 800 years or more. They would go into areas of Eastern Europe, places like Romania, places um, like the, the, where the Slavic peoples live even today. And they would take a blood tax. They would go and take their soldiers throughout the towns and they would find the biggest male children they could find and they would forcibly take those children and indoctrinate them to be what became known as the Janissaries, which they were radical fighters for Islam. Imagine how you as a parent would take that. You're trying to raise your son. You're in a small village unable to defend himself. And here you see the crescent banner of the Ottoman Turks. They come in the name of Islam and they forcibly take your only son. You don't know if he's dead or alive, but years later when they invade, you see him leading the charge against his own people with a crazed look in his eye because he's been brainwashed to kill for the Sultan. And then since 1973, we've had not so much a blood tax, we've had what you could call a convenience tax. Over 53 million legal abortions with no recourse in the legal system. We've killed our own by our own hands. In 2004 in Beslan, Russia, there were 186 children and 148 adults massacred in a school that was taken captive by Chechnyan Muslim rebels trying to take revenge. September 3rd, 2004, against the Russians taking out their own. And then just a few days ago, we had the shooting in Connecticut where 20 young children were coldly and brutally murdered. 
The Bible tells us in John chapter 8, verse 44, that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. But you see, the secular media and the world in which we live has indoctrinated so many of us to the point that when things like this happen, and I wish I could say that this would be the last one, but I cannot say it. In fact, I don't know if you're like me, when you hear of mass shootings, whether it be at a school, in a mall, it's almost regular news, is it not? Some people have asked me as a pastor, they say, Jeff, when do you think God, or do you think, or how do you think God would judge our nation? I think it's already begun. You don't have to bring in the Chinese. You don't have to bring in people from the Middle East holding to a radical religious ideology. It's from our own. But yet what you hear on the news most often is people will make comments that immediately point to things such as personality disorders, mental illnesses, and an overall instability in the person carrying out these acts as if they're addressing an imbalanced chemical formula in a lab somewhere. But what our culture will not confront, but what we will at Rocky Mount Baptist Church is number one, responsibility. Personal responsibility. Who is at fault when someone does something wrong? The person who does the wrong thing is at fault. We love to point fingers in the U.S. Whether that be on national television or whether it be an argument over where to eat among our own family. But we must affirm personal responsibility because a culture that will not take responsibility for its own actions is a culture that cannot and will not survive. Secondly, what we must address is the reality of evil. If you're taking notes, write down Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. Who can understand it or who can even know it? Some people say, Jeff, how could this have happened? Now, I am not a pessimist. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're saved here this morning, you can't be a pessimist. Amen? You know, no matter how dark it gets, Jesus Christ will win. Evil will be destroyed. He's returning. And because He has saved you, He has good for you, no matter how bad it gets here. But we must affirm the reality of evil. People ask, say, Jeff, how could this have happened? Often when we ask those questions, we have wrong assumptions, number one, about human nature. We assume that human nature is good and that things like this are actually anomalies. They're they're, they're things that just bump up on the radar screen. They're uncalled for. They're strange. But if we took the time to read, and by the way, Americans, we don't read anymore, do we? We read the paper and get slanted articles from a political machine, whether you're a right-winger or whether you're a left-winger. But if we read history, we would find that it wasn't 20. It was just a few of the stats that we've given previously in this message. The right question is, why doesn't it happen more often? If the heart is half as bad as the Bible makes out, and we know that God's Word is true, it is only God's prevailing grace, it is only His providence that stops more of this. If you want to do a quick Google search, go type in thwarted terrorist attacks, over, especially during the Bush years, and you will find there have been attack after attack after attack, not from our own, but from those who would like to take down the country and cause all sorts of, of instability. There have been many of those that have been stopped. The evil of the human heart causes us to ask, why doesn't it happen more often? There are three reasons, I believe, and this is biblical. Number one, the law, Romans chapter 13. The law is there to restrain evil. There's some people that simply have hearts that are so depraved, they would do anything to anyone. And the only reason why they don't 
is because fear of themselves being harmed. Number two, the common grace of social and moral restraints. There are some people that may have a deviant personality. They may have some sort of disorder. But because society, at least to this point, it says that you don't murder people. You don't murder children that has been staved off by those restraints. And thirdly, the providence of God. If it were not for God and if it were not the prayers of His people asking God, deliver us from evil, there is no telling what our world would look like. Which in fact, if you believe in the rapture, that the rapture will happen before the tribulation really kicks into high gear, I believe part of that has to do with the absence of the people of God that is a moral restraint upon evil. It's going to be evil pure. And that's the time that you really don't want to be around. You see, but often when you watch any news network, not all, but most, they will avoid issues of evil. They may say it's evil. Even Vladimir Putin or Putin said after the 9-11 attacks that it was evil. But we don't go into what that means because, and please hear me, If you go into a discussion on evil, that opens the door to the idea of moral absolutes. A moral absolute means that something is absolutely wrong in every culture, in every time, and in every place. And if you open the door to absolutes, you have to ask the question, where do absolutes come from? Absolutes cannot come from the decision of a legislature or our own individual opinions. Absolutes come from an absolutely in control being. We know Him as God and His Son as Jesus Christ. In other words, the secular media will not go into an in-depth discussion on evil because it brings you to the foot of the existence of God. And our culture is swamped with post-modernity and post-modernism, which simply says, if that's true for you, then that's fine if that's your truth. But my truth is over here. Whereas God's Word says this is right and this is wrong no matter how you cut it. In fact, our secular culture, you'll notice this especially from men uh, such as Piers Morgan, that I believe that he has a bleeding heart, but an empty mind in order to... And I'm not trying to put him down. I'm serious. Many of these, of these people in our media, it seems like they want things to stop. They want evil to be restrained, but they have to borrow from Christianity the terminology to even have a discussion about evil. If something is evil, it's not just unfashionable. Just like a tie-dye shirt with a pocket protector with Bermuda shorts and tall white socks and sandals, it's not fashionable. And if that's news to you this morning, you need help. We talk about evil like it's something that's not cool, that's not, not, especially if you're in the office place, they'll use the word that that's not appropriate behavior. But... If something is evil, then as N.T. Wright says, evil isn't simply a philosopher's puzzle, but a reality which stalks our streets and damages people's lives, homes, and property. Russell Moore goes a step further in his article, and he says, and I quote, violence against children is also peculiarly satanic because it destroys the very picture of the newness of life and dependent trust that characterizes life in the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 18, verse 4. Children are a blessing, and that enrages the horrifying nature of those who seek only to kill and to destroy. The Bible says in John, 
chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief, speaking of Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Thirdly, our culture will not discuss the issue of acts like this are not just the result of an imbalanced personality or a person who was not on their medication, but our culture will not, but we will here open the door to say that this is not just wrong, but it's demonic and it's satanic. To seek after the lives of children is demonic. Bloodlust like that is fueled by Satan who has always desired to destroy children and their innocence. Let's not water it down. It's wrong and it's wrong on steroids. And the insanity of our society is this. God, we don't want you on our schools. We definitely don't want you in our public life. You may be relevant for some of us at Christmas and Easter, and whenever I feel up to it, I'll go to church for a Sunday morning service. But when I go, the preacher had better make me feel good and not offend me. So God, in other words, leave me, leave us alone. But then the cries, when things like this happen, is God, where have you been? Does anybody see a break in logic, or is it only me? A society that continually votes people into office that will appoint judges who do everything but actually protect the First Amendment and let local school boards make those calls. Let local communities do it instead of always giving power to a centralized government that I believe we should oppose if it comes to take away our God-given rights. Some of you say, Jeff, I felt a lot of feelings of anger. Towards this, what, what what should I feel? Psalm chapter one nineteen verse fifty three says, "Hot indignation. Indignation means fiery anger. Seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law." If hearing of what happened didn't cause some sense of righteous anger on some degree, I have questions about your moral compass. I'm not saying you had to go punch holes in your walls, or yell at someone, or load your gun. But if it doesn't bother us, then that's a big sign of societal decay. We should have righteous anger towards such cowardly, demonic, evil actions because children are special, you see. Jesus said, suffer or let the little children come unto me. In a society to where children were not valued as they are now, Jesus made time for children. Jesus spoke to children. Jesus even raised the young girl. Talitha from the dead. And in fact, if you have issues with that, with the concept of righteous anger, which you should be careful with, because unlike God and unlike His Son, we have a mixture of presuppositions, of prejudices, and of emotions. Don't we? So if you're the type, if you're the warrior type, if you're the stand out front, I'll take it on the chin type, be very careful when your conscience is moved to be frustrated about things like this so you don't react in unrighteous anger. Our culture doesn't seem to have a grasp of a biblical concept of human nature. Now, I have 
pastor friends who said, don't talk about this today, but I will respectfully disagree with them. The fact that, um, and I, I have not responded to anything on Twitter yet, the fact that our culture immediately, without hesitation, on the same day, goes to the issue of gun control is a revelation, whether you're for it or against it, is a revelation that we have no clue about what a human actually is. Let me explain that. If you think that a human is simply a blank slate, that they're basically good and it's society and tools and other things that are the cause, then you're never going to ever actually get to the issue, which is the human heart, you see. Our culture goes bypassing the heart and goes to the hand. Our culture says, don't worry about the heart, let's simply medicate it. Evil is simply a chemical imbalance. Now, let me qualify that. Some people need medication. Amen? And we're not putting anyone down who takes it. Sometimes there are chemical imbalances because we have bodies that need to be treated with medicine. At the doctor, there's a place for that. But in the discussion on the why and the how and the what, the subject of human depravity and what we allow and endorse in our culture never comes up. For example... Some people will point to video games. Some people will point to this or that. The issue for us as Christians is, are we supporting things in society which cause things like this to be frowned upon, or do we glorify violence and devalue justice? I would submit to you today that we're a culture that glorifies violence for violence's sake in every shape and form, and we don't value justice. Even if you get the death penalty, you will sit often years upon years upon years with ever having the Senate served. We do not value justice. And honestly, many of the people who are for uh, gun confiscation and so forth, they have made their millions of dollars by glorifying gun violence in their movies. And we should tell them, if you think that guns are so bad, don't use them in, their mo- in your movies to where it seems cool to use them and kill people. It's the depraved heart that is the issue. If we bypass the heart, we will never get to the cause. We'll only be looking for excuses such as gun control. And another note about many of the ones on the Twitterverse and on national television, such as Mark uh, Mayor Bloomberg in New York City, who is advocating absolute confiscation of guns, the same crowd supports abortion on demand. So I want to make sure that I'm hearing you right. You're telling me that you have no issue at all, to the point that you would oppose it, to over 53 million children being murdered in the womb, but yet you want to disarm the law-abiding citizens who choose to defend themselves. So you have a problem with the inner-city mother with several kids who lives in a tough area, and she goes through the legal processes as best she knows her how to do to defend herself and her family, but you don't have a problem with abortion, but you have a problem with this. I call you a hypocrite and quote me on that and put me on Big Sis's list. James Madison said, Crisis is the rallying cry of the tyrant. I'm not going to get into the issue of more guns, less crime, more whatever, how it goes. I'll let you do that research on your own. If you want to have that discussion, my email address works and my office door is open. But I believe for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that there is a moral decay going on in our nation. Many of you remember back in 2007, the collapse of the Minneapolis Bridge. And that was the rallying cry for building back our infrastructure when all of those people died. Oz Guinness says this, 
The problem is not the wolves at the door, but the termites in the floor. Powerful people die only by their own hand, and free people have no one to blame but themselves. What the world seems fascinated to watch but powerless to stop is the spectacle of a free people's suicide. Abraham Lincoln says, If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be be the author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. But the moral fabric of our nation today is that we devalue justice and we glorify violence. You say, Jeff, what should our response be? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. With your friends and your family as much as you can, share the gospel of Jesus. And before we break that down, I want to make a note of the elephant in the room. <clears throat> if you are ever in a situation to where someone comes in and they are intent on taking the lives of children or innocent people, I want to talk to the men for just a few moments. And ladies, this is saying nothing to devalue your martial skill. In fact, uh, many women I'm more afraid of than men. Can I get an amen in the house? All right, We're not saying that you ladies can't take names and, you know, kick some. But I just want to say a word uh, to your men if I can. Men, if we're ever in that situation and you have license to carry a weapon and you have trained yourself with that weapon, you give a quick prayer to the Lord, try to get people to a safe escape. But if it comes to you and the gunman, you take him down. All right? Let me, let me quote that again so that nobody uh, misunderstands. If you have trained yourself or if there is no other recourse, and there's no way to get the children or get your family or this person out of the way if you're there and you're trapped. I've asked the Lord to develop this in my life and it's one of those last stand situations. You should do your utmost to defend innocent people And not that you want to take anyone's life, but if it comes to that, whether it's with a weapon, whether it's hand to hand, know that you're doing the right thing to stop evil. And if you want to have that discussion, we can have that discussion. I've tried to pray about it and study about it. I want to say a word about our military and law enforcement. Every time you strap up and every time you gear up, you are worthy of honor. You are worthy of our respect as citizens. You should never call cops pigs. You should never devalue what they do in any sense. In fact, they are there to protect evil. And I've not known of any police officer, any person in the military that when they suit up and when they gear up, they are all willing to give their life to protect innocent people. And I think it is our duty to honor them. Amen, church? That'd be all right. We can we can clap for that. We can clap for that. And then finally, I believe that we should pray to the Lord as Jesus prayed, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And there are some of you that are very torn up about this, and you should be. But you're not sure if God can be all-powerful and all-good in order for this to happen. Well, I'm glad you have those questions. If you can uh, hang around here, or you, we can have that conversation today. But we're going to take six weeks, beginning in the first 
month of April and look at the problem of evil. We're going to look at the issue of why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Six weeks, we're going to milk that subject. So please bring your questions and your objections when we do that. Another question that people have, they say, Jeff, what about children? What about infants who die? Will they go to heaven? There's an article on our website by Al Mohler and Danny Aiken, a brilliant article from the Word of God. And I believe that those who don't understand in the true sense that they're sinners, that the grace of God does cover them. Let me give you a few scriptures that will be of comfort to you during this time. Psalm chapter 119, verse 50. The Bible says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Not some, but of all comfort. Who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So that means that when you experience tragedy, that God Himself comes into your life through the power of His Holy Spirit and He gives you grace upon grace, compassion upon compassion, and gives you the ability to help other people who have been through the same thing. He comforts us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 gives us the promise, Blessed are those who mourn. It's a statement as well. For they shall be comforted. And we know as followers of Jesus Christ, And when Jesus returns and all of this whole big mess, this conveyor belt of bodies we know as life, all of the pain and suffering that you have seen and you have experienced, some of you have been in horrific situations here or if you've served in combat around the world, you've seen things and you just say, what in the world? There's no point in that. There's no logic in that. What in the world is going on? Jesus in Luke chapter 13 gives a parable. The only reason why God has not come and cut down the tree that has not borne fruit is because He's giving the world time to repent. Only reason. And if you've been saved here today, you love Jesus Christ, you're ready to live for Him and serve Him, you say, Jeff, why am I here? It's so you can bring fertilizer, so you can bring the water of God's Word, and you can go to those people that you know, you can go to those weird people you know, whether in your family or whether you're not, and you can pray for them, you can share the Gospel, hoping that God will bring about repentance. Because He's left you here to do a job. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 says, Then we who are alive, speaking when Jesus comes, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, when people experience suffering and brutality, in fact, I sent an email to the pastor of Newtown Bible Church this morning. And... Let's see if I can find it. There it is. He's actually a Ph.D. student at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, which is one of the schools that we support. And I said, just know that your brothers and sisters in Virginia are praying for you. Send me back an email early this morning. This is what he said. Thank you, brother. We take great encouragement in the prayers of the saints and count yours as precious. 
He may be finished with his sermon by now, but we have brothers and sisters in Connecticut. We've got brothers and sisters all around the world. But we must understand and you must understand that when you bring your brokenness and you bring your pain to Jesus, he is not a stoic God. He is not simply a judge on the throne, divorced from what it means to be human. Jesus lived as one of us. See, why don't we put that together? But sometimes we say, well, God, can I bring this to you? Is this too small? Is this too big? He lived as one of us. He knows what the pain of betrayal is. He knows what it means to be to be talked about, to be gossiped about. He knows what it means to be betrayed to the point of death. He knows what it means to sweat. He knows what it means to hunger and thirst. And He knows what it means to die. And He did it. And He suffered. And He paid that penalty. So that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, Jesus suffered from evil. Jesus absorbed evil. And praise God, Jesus is coming back to destroy evil. Amen, church? Remember several years ago, I was out with some friends in Pensacola Bay, Florida. And I'm not sure if I've told this story here. It's, But I'll tell it again if I have mentioned it. We're going across the bay and Stan Lewis, who was my boss at Olive Baptist Church, he's got three little girls. And, you know, when you begin to go across some rough water, the boat begins to kind of drop and boom, boom, boom. And little Lauren, little blonde haired girl, we were sitting there on the seats together. She just kind of came close, close to me, right, like right next to me. And you know how little kids, their hands are so small, they can't really hold your hand like an adult would. She just kind of grabbed a hold of my thumb like it was a, you know, a toggle switch or something for a a fighter jet. She just grabbed a hold. And I said, you know what? When tragedy strikes, when life gets very, very bumpy, let us not react and emote with a spiritual lack of maturity. Let's come close to the Father. And say, God, I don't understand how this works together for good. I'm going to let you figure that out. But I just need you to speak to me. I need you to hold me close. And I need you to give life to my family. Help me give comfort to these people. And when we worship the God who is the God of all comfort, He will not push us away, but He will hold us close in His arms because He is our Heavenly Father. 